Welcome back to the MCU Exchange Podcast. This is Caleb, and we're coming to you with our usual team of Rhiannon and Adam as well. We are excited to be trying some new things here on the podcast. Hopefully you are already noticing a slightly better audio quality. We're doing a few things in how we record to try to just give you a little less of that kind of static and glitchy noise that you might have heard from time to time via our old method. So we're going to do that. We're going to try a new way to edit the show. Hopefully all of that is not noticeable to you. If it is noticeable, just let us know. We're, we're still working with it. It might take a week or two to, to kind of bed into this. But um, so far, we're pretty excited about the opportunities. We'd love to know if it sounds better for you guys. Also, this week should be the first time that this podcast will be uploaded to YouTube. We know some of you like to listen to your podcasts via a video on YouTube, and so we're going to make that available to you. Also, hopefully get a new audience that way with people that are listening to you podcasts on YouTube. Uh, if you are listening on YouTube right now, welcome. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, you'll see that there is going to be some limited image. You're not going to see video of the three of us talking, um, but you're still going to get, uh, I think, something in the background that'll show uh, some kind of detail about what we're talking about. So. Uh, anyways, all those things are new, and we're excited about it, and we're ready to go. Um, so we'll get into our conversation. I have quasi-news to start just to get us talking. Did you guys see that Apple is considering, according to some rumors, yeah. buying Disney? That, that is, is insane. insane. Did you see One the billion, right? Yes. Or what was the price No. Tag? No. Like two hundred oh, billion. Off. Yeah, two hundred and twenty billion dollars. Right, because Marvel's worth four billion. At least it was when Disney purchased it several years ago. So it's um, insane. Yeah, I can't. I mean, the, 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 at this point, that's just not like. There's a point where those numbers don't feel real at all anymore. And two hundred twenty billion is incredible. Just for fun, I looked up. Apparently, Apple's worth about six hundred billion. billion. So. So yeah, those I, 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 you can't you can't hear those numbers and not think of that scene in Austin Powers <laughs> where he's right. just like one billion, it's like two hundred, like it's not even a real number. That's I, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this yet. Yeah, I'm not sure if it'll happen. I mean, it's it was still kind of a rumor, and we've heard things like this before. We heard. I think for a while that Disney was thinking about buying Netflix. Um, it seems like Apple is just interested in finding um, material that can only be watched on an iPad. You know, like what if the only way to watch Cinderella was on an iPad, which I think consumers will actually hate them for, but it seems to be kind of their concern. So, but they would buy a friggin' iPad. I mean, if you have kids and the only way for them to watch Disney movies well, I mean, I don't have kids, but if the only way for your kids to watch Disney movies was to have an iPad or an Apple TV, would you move towards that? Or would you just say, hey, we'll go watch whatever movie, other movies there are? Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that's definitely true with my kids. Like, being able to get a hold of those movies they really like is a big deal. So what would this absolutely. do to Netflix, you know, cause now that the thing Disney's starting to slowly put their, uh, their videos on Netflix. Now I, it'd be hard to imagine with, 
with Apple being in the tech sector, you know, would they just start, I mean, would the Netflix shows be through iTunes or something, you know? I mean, I read a couple articles where people were saying it'd be doomsday for Netflix, um, and others weren't, you know? I guess, what's your thoughts on, would it, would it actually affect Netflix at all? I mean, they have a contract with Netflix, so for the short term, it wouldn't have a huge, I mean, yeah, I imagine Disney's contracts would still have to play out, but it it would probably, I mean, as soon as that contract expires or however, whenever it ends, it would probably be really bad for Netflix. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Some of it is Disney already doesn't love Netflix in as much as Disney is a part part owner of Hulu. So they're already like a competitor with them. And so the their coexistence with Netflix is fascinating to me. Like they could really play hardball and try to put say Daredevil and all that stuff. At some point they could contractually once they're free of it try to move all that stuff to Hulu or at least new seasons. But it seems like they're willing to play ball as long as um you know, they can get good product out. So it, it'll be interesting. I, I don't think Disney is as small minded as Apple as far as trying to be like provisional uh, about their content and trying to keep their content in one place. I mean, I love Apple. I use their products a lot, but the one thing that Apple does that I hate is that they just really are super territorial about their stuff and don't want, you, you know, if you buy a song on iTunes, they don't want to make you, capable to listen to that anywhere but on an apple device and i get that from a business side but it also can annoy me from a customer side whereas disney is doing quite the opposite and kind of kicking down doors so that like with disney anywhere if i buy a movie on itunes it's available for me on my amazon kindle as well so i think disney and apple are very different in the way they think about that kind of stuff All right, we ready to move on? Yes, sir. Yeah, buddy. All right. Uh, first thing of news, of real news, Marvel news, is we want to go ahead and talk about the Jessica Jones character breakdowns. So if you have not been paying attention to the website this week, um, we have been uh, working with that hashtag show. It was kind of a collaborative effort between ourselves and them where we got some character descriptions and then we um, at, at MCU exchange, we tried to like pick those apart a little bit and figure out if we could figure who those characters are. I'm going to read the character descriptions and then I will give you our best guesses of who those people are. So character description, number one for Jessica Jones, uh, chapter two, chapter two, season two, Dr. Kirby, uh, someone in sixties, male open ethnicity, Scientist and free thinker. This would be a series regular on a one-year deal. Uh, next would be Presley, someone in their late 30s, a male African-American, intelligent, driven, self-assured, a fractional series regular. Oliver, uh, 34 to 38, a male, Latino, artistic, paternal, smart, scruffy, and hip. He would be a series regular. And then a character named Ingrid, early mid 30s, 5'8 to 5'11, female with dark hair, attractive and edgy, has a history of living on the streets, 
is educated as a nurse, but is streetwise. She's attracted to men and women, and this is also a series regular. Now, if you guys have not seen this stuff before, when we get these character breakdowns, typically they're very not uh, hidden. Like, they give us a name that starts with the same letter as the character actually is. So, you know, for Danny Rand, you would get a character description for someone named David. And so we're assuming that if it starts with a letter, that's probably the letter of the character. Uh, for Dr. Kirby, uh, MCU Exchange is guessing this might be Dr. Carl Malice. Uh, Malice is a little-known uh, character from the comics who kind of experiments with making superheroes. He's kind of into the science of how you make a superhero, which would fit very well with the IGH stuff that we think is going to come in the season. Uh, also, there is a character named Presley. Uh, the, for the character named Presley, we're thinking that this is Paladin. Paladin is a PI that has sort of turned into like a military guy in the um, shows and is sort of a, um, a merc for hire. Uh, Oliver, we're guessing, is Otis Johnson, who's kind of cool. He's like a nerdy, scrawny white guy that has the same powers as Luke Cage, which I think could be very funny and very interesting in how they do it. Uh, that one would be one that they're changing the ethnicity of. And then finally, for Ingrid, we had two guesses. One is a new character from Hellcat called Ian Sue. And that's basically, uh, that character is bisexual in the comics. And so we're thinking that that would fit well with the character description we got. The other thought that has come up is that it could potentially be Typhoid Mary. Now, obviously, Typhoid Mary doesn't have anything that starts with I. Why they'd call that character Ingrid, we don't know. But uh, just as a reminder... Um, Kevin Thompson is the name they gave Kilgrave in the first season, even though in the comics he was Zebediah Kilgrave. So they can change around character names. Uh, I think Typhoid Mary, it's less about the description and more that that just feels like the right kind of villain for Jessica Jones. All right, that was a lot of me talking. Uh, Adam, Rhiannon, what do you guys think? Do you like these character descriptions? Does it feel to you like maybe we're on to something with our guesses about who they're going to be? I think... I think some of these guesses are, are a great direction. I mean, they're not people. This isn't a show where you're going to hear a character description and be like, oh, that's Electra or, you know, that's stick. There's, there's not how, even if you've read and loved the Jessica Jones books, there just aren't that many characters. So to have come up with these, I think these are a great fit. And I think they sound like they would fit. I disagree on the typhoid Mary thing, but that's because I don't think I think if there's going to be a typhoid Mary in Jessica Jones it's going to be Robin you don't give the show a crazy redhead and then not make her the character that's traditionally a crazy redhead um, is that the girl that lived upstairs yeah I'm already forgetting that character okay. yeah this, the crazy sister that lived upstairs um, it was Reuben and Robin Gotcha. And I've watched it again because, like, somebody put this in my head that she would become Typhoid Mary. And I love Typhoid Mary. Like, she's an awesome character. So if you ignore the part where Typhoid Mary dates Matt Murdock as her more sane counterpart, if you rewatch Jessica Jones with in your mind that this girl is on a path to become Typhoid Mary, she is on a path to become Typhoid Mary. Like, she is... Definitely, I, I, 
if she if Typhoon Mary's going to show up in Jessica Jones, I expect it to be Robin, not a new character. It's so hard to guess characters for Jessica Jones. I mean, I know when we were trying to figure these out, because you never know where they're going to gender bend or change the name or just take a small character and turn them into something huge. There are so many options with this, and they could be completely new characters. But I think these options sound great. I definitely want to see Otis Johnson, the bulletproof nerdy little guy. Um, and and I so I think they uh, I think that we they've I, I didn't come up with any of these. Did a great job coming up with options. Yeah, when you're talking about casting, you just don't know. You know, if you had told people before the first season, oh, they got Carrie Ann Moss. Like, nobody would have gone, oh, yeah, well, that's going to be Hogarth. Because, you know, like, Hogarth in the comics is just such a different world, you know, so. Right, and that was probably uh, advertised. Hogarth was probably advertised as a middle-aged lesbian. And, And who would have looked at that and go, oh, Hogarth. Right. Okay. Adam, do you have any thoughts on these uh, Jessica Jones I don't, characters? No, not really. I'm not really uh, too knowledgeable about the whole uh, JJ comic lore. Um, so I'll let you two do the talk on this one. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I don't think there is a lot of um, true a lot of that lore. You know, like part of the reason that we don't know is. This is gonna borrow. We've had a few comments on the website of like, oh, but that's a Jessica, or that's a Daredevil character, or something along those lines. But that's it's going to happen. Like, there is so little material that is exclusively Jessica Jones, and so much of it was not like traditional superhero fare. She just doesn't have. She has like the thinnest rogue gallery yeah. of like any superhero, you know. So they're gonna have to steal some stuff from Daredevil or whoever. All right, um, I wanted to read some, and this will connect to our, our conversation last week. I want to read some uh, sections out of um, an interview that Amy Pascal did with, um, I think it was a Screen Rant. We ran some of this stuff this week and took a few snippets out to kind of highlight some stuff. Um, and it's really interesting. She talked about the relationship between Spider-Man and uh, with Marvel and Sony via Spider-Man. And what was really interesting about it was she was about as candid and as honest as I imagine she'll ever be about what was happening with Spider-Man. And so I'm going to read this clip. It's really interesting. So before the deal, we've uh, told that Spider-Man story as many ways as I could figure out. And Kevin Feige and I have been working together since the very first movie. She goes on to tease Kevin about the fact he was the coffee boy when they first started working on the original Spider-Man movie way back in like Oh two. Um, and she said, um, uh, and then she gets into, uh, why they did it. And they said, truly it was because Spider-Man is great and the character is great and people love him. That's good for Disney. That's good for Marvel. And it's certainly good for Sony. Um, this is just, I don't know. Like, this is admitting that they had no idea what they were doing, right? Like, we've told that story as many ways as I could figure out. I literally had no more ideas on how to do Spidey. And so we went to Marvel. And this deal is good for Disney and it's good for Marvel. 
but it's really good for us because we were up the creek without a paddle. Is that pretty much how you guys hear Amy talking about this stuff? Yeah, well, and, yeah, I mean, I think it's a nice spin on just we couldn't do this alone. Yeah, it's just, it sounds to me like pure desperation. It goes on, also talks about the villains. And they asked if they'd be recycling them. And she's like, well, we've recycled the villains a lot. And then she goes, um, I think there are certain characters. I don't think there's anything more to say about them. And also, you're not doing a story on this, but we're also doing the animated movie. And as characters, they're different. But I think we have to be really fresh with it. I mean... I don't know how many more times we can do, at least for now, I don't know how many more times we can do Green Goblin. Like, she was trying not to say, we overdid Green Goblin a million times, but in the end she's finally like, okay, I'll be honest, we can't do Green Goblin anymore, we ran that, that, that you know, bus into the ground, we've got to move on. That's oh. kind of how it sounds, isn't it? Oh, good. No, but she literally says it, the next line is, I've certainly tried to do it 50. Like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> she's like, yeah, totally done this. I think it's, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's pretty clear that they, at wit's end, I suppose, so Marvel kind of stepping in and, and doing what they can, you know, it's it's certainly a win-win, you know, Marvel gets to use Spidey and Sony gets the money, you know, now we can only hope that uh, Fantastic Four is the same, cross your fingers. I also yeah, think it and- shows, oh. I also think it sort of shows that it's, you know, one thing Marvel has proven is that none of these standalone characters really succeed as purely a standalone character. All of the standalone movies have still had other heroes from the other movies. And so, and that's what makes it, you know, like, so Spider-Man, yeah, it shows that any of these characters all alone makes for a boring story. If they can't interact, if they can't have other heroes or, you know, to have those conversations or to have the added conflict or to have the mentorship or something, the story gets boring. So I think it really shows the value of the MCU and possibly leans away. I mean, I know there's been speculation. I know she said a lot of different things in regards to Spidey continuing to be in the MCU. But to me, what she's saying there sounds a lot like Spidey needs the MCU. Like, it really adds value compared yeah. to everything they've tried it, before. Just jumping on to what you're saying about the value and Adam saying that it works for everybody. You know, last week she had said some things we talked about that made us nervous that maybe this contract was going to expire. And what does that mean? You know, how many movies are they signed up for? And she was asked that question pretty directly at this interview, which it should be said was actually done long before the comments of a couple weeks ago, because this was a set visit that had been embargoed. And when she's asked about how long the relationship will last, she says, I think I'll answer it this way. I think we found the right formula, and I think everybody's going to want the right thing to continue. And I think that's a, as I said... There's a surprisingly generous and cooperative thing, and it works for everybody. Then it's and if it works for everybody, it's going to work for everybody. So basically, she said, "We've gotten this where we're really comfortable with it, and so we're just going to keep that running as long as we're still comfortable." 
And if Marvel makes the kind of money on this movie they should make, I think Sony will be happy to keep it going for a long, long time. Makes a lot All of sense. All right. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and move on. Um, there wasn't a ton of big news this week, but there was a couple other littler things I wanted to catch on. Um, one, just because it's a pet peeve of mine, um, Brian Michael Bendis uh, talked a little bit about seeing Genki in the Spider-Man uh, Homecoming trailers. They basically asked him, like, hey, how do you feel about your character being used in Peter Parker's life this way? Uh, if you don't know, the Ned Leeds character in Spider-Man Homecoming has a unbelievably striking resemblance to uh, a character named Genki from the Miles Morales Spider-Man. I mean, honestly, it's just obvious they stole that character. And Bendis, I kind of liked that he was like, he didn't totally feel comfortable with it. It felt a little weird to him. And, you know, he wants the movie to do well, but he just kind of said that it was it was kind of odd to see his creation plucked up like that. And uh, I don't know if there's much to talk about other than as someone who's fussed about this continually on this podcast, it was nice to see someone else higher up the uh, food chain also being concerned about, you know, that problem. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, I, can we say ripoff? Because I just think he's a, he's a pure ripoff. You know, the only reason there aren't calling him Ganky, Ganky, you know, it's because then everyone's going to be like, oh, sweet, we're getting Miles Morales and the Homecoming 2 or whatever. You know, um, yeah, but kudos for Bend to uh, Bendis for actually speaking out of it, you know, because it is a pretty, pretty blatant uh, copycat. Yeah, and the, the only thing that the, the reason that bugs me so much is just the future. If we ever get a Miles movie, um, you know, unless it's like. Ned Leeds' cousin mm-hmm. Genki, you know, like it's just we're probably not going to get that dynamic, and it's so much of who Miles is in the comics that it just it'd be sad to not have that. So, uh, hopefully, we'll see it though in their animated stuff. Uh, we'll get we'll get Genki and Miles together. All right, uh, the other piece of news I wanted to hit real quick is that uh, Luke Cage has been nominated for Peabody. Uh, this is a really prestigious award. It's kind of the Pulitzer Prize of uh, recorded radio video mediums. Um, and so this is the same award that Jessica Jones won just a year ago. And now Luke Cage is nominated again. Um, Rhiannon is exciting to you to see this kind of, uh, plaudits for your Netflix stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I was truly shocked. Um, if before Luke Cage came out, you had told me that it followed the same path. I wouldn't have been shocked, but having seen the final product, I'm a little bit, um, just a little bit, but no, I'm excited. I mean, any prestige that these shows get, it's exciting and it, and it raises the quality and it means more people view them and it means we'll get more seasons. Um, and it actually being treated like quality art. I get a kick out of that as well. So yay for the Luke Cage team. Well, so if JJ got it last year and Luke Cage gets it this year, I mean, we can only guesstimate Iron Fist gets one next year, right? (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) I don't think. 
I don't think that's probably going to be on the cards. Um, I, th- I think that there's a variety of things that the Peabody folks are looking at, but uh, one is like <laughs> some decent social commentary, and so I think that's part of what they loved about Jessica and what they loved about Luke is it's saying interesting, important things about the world around us. Just don't think that uh, yeah, they're going to feel that way about Iron Fist. It would be interesting to see. I'm interested to see how far they go with um, with Punisher into stuff about like post-traumatic stress, what it's like for warriors when they come home, you know, when, it, you know, when soldiers return from some of these conflicts that we're in, what they live with and how they deal with kind of the trauma that they've been through. I think that Punisher could say a lot of interesting things and they already have handled that pretty well in Daredevil season two. Like they never sort of, fell into kind of the PTSD tropes. There's that whole bit where like Castle kind of told Murdoch, don't you dare try to like give me that he had PTSD. He wasn't in his right mind defense in trial. I knew what I was doing. There's guys that really suffer with that and I'm not one of them. Like I thought that was really interesting. I think they could develop that in a fascinating way that could make Punisher a little um, higher level of art than we might assume that it would be, you know? That's true. I'm really, as I've said before, I'm really anxious for them to start telling us what the Punisher narrative is going to be. And I've said this before, too, like Iron Fist could have probably had a message if they had crafted it early. If they had said, you know, here's our message of blah, blah, blah. We're really excited for you to see it. I think people would have looked at it in a different light. And I hope Punisher does a good job of forming that message from day one, which I think they'll do. I mean, I think John Barenthal speaks that message well enough himself. So, Yeah, I think Iron Fist tried it with a lot of the corporate stuff. Yeah. You know, I think they wanted it to be sort of, you know, I mean, the very first interviews that Jeff Loeb did, he said things like, this is going to be a really hard look at the 1%. I think that the way that Harold Meacham was acted kind of hurt that. And, you know, I mean, there was just, there was so much other stuff going on. I don't think they did that particularly well. And I don't think it reverberated with people particularly well. So, yeah. All right. Was there, um, oh, other thing with the Punisher real quick, since we're talking about Punisher, um, Getty Images, which is the big company that comes out with lots of, shots of various things particularly celebrities and sets uh there are pictures today of uh bernthal on the set of punisher it appears that he is near a carousel which is obviously an important thing in his uh in his history on netflix and he was just wearing like straight up that bulletproof vest with the punisher logo the punisher skull logo like in all its glory on the front of it. And it was just awesome. Did you guys see that? Was it like, was, did, did it thrill your heart as it did mine to see such a like faithful comic representation on the screen? I, I felt like I should have been really excited. Um, I, I, I wonder if it's going to feel like the daredevil suit in season two, like, that we know it's pretty awesome that they worked up to this. But now that it's there, it feels a little cheesy. And I I, I just 
didn't yeah i mean i saw it and i thought it was cool but to me it looked like a comic book superhero costume and not the punisher but i know they'll build it up uh, i'm sure when they build up to whatever that scene is that we were seeing they'll do it in some organic way that makes sense um but i didn't get the happy feelings that everybody else in the world everybody else got those feelings so i mean what about you adam tingly feelings no, at the, uh, the skull the logo exact feelings <laughs> um i don't know i i'd almost have to put the punisher in with uh spider-man it's just a character i've never really i don't know i gotta be careful with what i say because everyone loves the punisher but i, I don't it's he's not my favorite <laughs> i guess so i yeah, I kind of expected it, and it didn't really blow my expectations, or, um, yeah, it was meh, you know, that's about it. You're right, you should be careful with Punisher fans, because not only are they big comic fans, but they're also fans of someone <laughs> that shoots people for no good reason, so... Um, for good reason well uh, well that's true but i'm with adam on that i mean i'm one of the few people that i i loved punisher and daredevil and i think it's fabulous that he's in this universe i never understood why he needed his own series i have no idea what to get excited about his own series I, i they're going to have to hype me up for this and at this point like all the hype appears to be the people love that logo so i understand all the hype of seeing him there in the costume but i i'm i'm yeah i'm with adam huh that's interesting so i'm not a huge punisher fan like i i don't think i've ever read a punisher solo run i've obviously seen him in crossover events and stuff the thing i love about him is that he just has a different logic than other superheroes like, we're so used to, um, like, Daredevil and Batman both have kind of this, I don't kill, I don't use guns, I have morals and ethics, and, you know, I'm willing to, like, throw a guy off the side of a building into a dumpster, but I'm not willing to actually kill them. And so that philosophical thing that happens in Daredevil Season 2, where he says, you're a half measure, we do the same thing except for I get the job done. Like, I love that part of Punisher, that he actually represents a, like, a philosophical understanding of the world that is different than these other heroes. And honestly, it's, it's not one that I personally hold, but it's one that I think a lot of people feel. Uh, even when we talk about, like, you know, war, there's a lot of us that are like, whoa, let's try to avoid war if it all, you know, at all costs. And there's other people that are like, you know, if there's bad people in the world, we should go kill them. And so I just, I don't know, I, I like having him around because I think it's interesting to have that diversity of opinion. And I think that seeing those kind of ethical debates kind of come out in the characters of Daredevil and Punisher is an interesting thing. And so I'm happy to have it, you know. And I do, I want it, I love the comic book accurate. We just, you know, nailed Iron Fist because he never put on a yellow bandana. No, and I'm sure they'll build up to that. I just didn't get excited about it and possibly because his character you know is one that doesn't believe people are redeemable doesn't forgive doesn't 
it is so black and white, and to me, nothing is black and white. Right. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Punisher and I do not agree philosophically at all. But I do, I enjoy sometimes like putting on someone else's shoes and walking around in them a little bit. And I do feel like I would actually have a lot less mental like strife in my life if I could think as simplistically as he does. You know, if there were good guys and bad guys and we kill the bad guys, it would actually help me sleep at night a little better oh, probably. God, so. yes, yes. Ignorance would be bliss. And, and, and to see things as black and white would be wonderful. So um, it'll be interesting to see. It definitely looks like they're going to be um, pretty true to the comics, uh, at least in the visuals. So that'll be fun to see from here on out. All right. Uh, I think it's time to jump from our news to our weekly look at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This week was the second episode in this Agents of Hydra pod. Um, as usual, if you're new to our podcast, we don't like to sit down and go, okay, this happened. What'd you think? All right, this happened. You know, like we're not going to step, go through it step by step, event by event. Uh, we generally just talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and give kind of a bird's eye view of how we feel like the show's doing and what we enjoyed about last night. So Adam, I guess I'll start with you. Did you enjoy the episode? What was, what was your favorite parts of, of what you saw? Uh, I guess yeah, not last night, Tuesday I liked night. It. Uh, I mean, these... These episodes are very good. I, I really like it. Um, I like uh, Dr. Fitz. You can't go wrong with Dr. Fitz and his kind of uh, heel turn he, he's going through right now. I'm still trying to piece together how uh, how they're going to get out of the framework, you know. Um, I don't know. I have a couple of theories, but I don't think they're very realistic ones. Um but yeah, it's just kind of starting to tug on your heart, you know, watching Gemma and and Leo go through this stuff they're going through now. But I, I dug it. Um, I am surprised, you know. I'm I'm glad they're keeping uh, the whole framework thing going on for you know more than one episode. You know, they didn't uh, go through Flashpoint in one episode like The Flash. Um, so that's good that they're actually taking some time in the framework and thing. But, uh, yeah, I really liked it. Um, believe it or not, Grant Ward's one of my favorite parts of the darn darn pod. So uh, keep on keeping on. Yay. <laughs> wow. They have really done something... If they have brought you on to, uh, team I didn't Ward. say I'm Team Ward yet. I said he's just he. Just... Uh-huh. <laughs> I totally heard you say that you. He's love actually Grant my Ward. Uh, cover photo and... on all my social media now. But <laughs> yeah, did you guys see these uh, interviews they did with Chloe Bennett? Where like they were like, fa- or not interview, but people like hit her up on social media and were like, "Oh, I'm so glad that you and Ward are back together." And she was like. No, I'm not glad. He's a psychopath. Why do you people want this relationship to happen? It was kind of funny. I did not see that. Now I'm sad that I missed it. But Rihanna, what'd you think? I I, I enjoyed it. It, it. I mean, it's not going to go down as one of my favorite episodes ever, but it nothing really to complain about. It um. I feel like I say the same thing every week. Like when I'm like, it had good twists. It kept me interested. Um, 
but I, uh, yeah, the Gemma, the Fitzsimmons, their, their love, and, you know, Gemma, when she was so, the pain, when she saw that the doctor was truly not anything like the guy she fell in love with, that was gut-wrenching. And, um, I enjoyed it. I, I'm interested to see where they go. I like that they're not jumping back and forth to real time. Yeah, you know, when we went into yeah, you know, when we went into the framework, we all were a little leery of the idea that it would be flashing back to a whole lot of yo yo there trying to work with them and all that. And we did did we flash back to yo yo this week a little bit? No, no I don't no. think so. Okay, so it was just like the previously on because I was like, I clearly remember seeing them strapping in when we started. But um I they're doing it well and uh, Mace was interesting I'm going to be interested to see if he's I mean I assume it's still just super soldier serum for Mace's powers that he's not really an inhuman what if that was his one regret was, that he wasn't born an inhuman who knows that would be cool but I mean but right because they all get one regret to like there was one regret that they undid when they put him in there. And I, I, I just thought that would be interesting if that was his. But what, I mean, to me, it's even more interesting if he is posing as an inhuman, this incredibly repressed class, when he has the privilege of totally mm. not being one. And so he put himself into that position where he has that label and he has all the threats of the dangers that imposed on humans. And he's standing up proudly and being like, I am an inhuman when it's a lie. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that, that, that makes the character bolder and braver and all of that. Huh. Yeah. I, I would just echo what you guys have said about um, Dr. Fitz. I think he's one of the best Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. villains ever. I am just loving kind of that whole thing. And, like, it's actually really being sold to me. It's being acted in such a way that I believe in evil fits as a thing. Um, I really like what that does. You know, I like when there's sort of, like we were talking about with Punisher, that there's sort of philosophical underpinnings to what they're doing, and they kind of talk about a bigger sort of debate in the history of ideas and thought. And, you know, we always have this conversation about uh, nature versus nurture, you know, like are people good people because that's who they are or because that's how they were raised to be or because of their environment. And I've always been one that kind of sides a little bit on somewhat the nurture side. Like my general thing is I feel like most human beings are capable of doing terrible, atrocious things to others if they're in the right scenario. Because this just always struck me as it would be kind of arrogant to be like, listen, at my core, I would never do anything. But that murderer over there, he's a lesser person than I am. So, like, I've always kind of just thought that in the right circumstances, I'm sure I could be a terrible human being, too. And so to see Gemma say he won't do it, he won't shoot her. I know him. That's he doesn't have it in him. And then to see him do it was sort of like hitting that philosophical point on the head of like, no, even a guy like Fitz, you put him in the right spot and he'll become a monster. And I find that just a very interesting thing to play with and kind of pull on, you know, to to see what's going on with those characters. 
Uh, one other thing I wanted to hit on that I thought was really good is um, I enjoyed having Mac back. You know, he took the week off the week before. And so it was cool to see him in the framework. Um, I'm a dad. And so I've gotten to this point in life where any show that like deals with fatherhood in a slightly tragic way gets me all like teary eyed and have, you know, like I just like feel it. Logan was impossible, you know, being a parent. And so uh, seeing Mac, like it was just so believable to me Um, in a way, like it's kind of heartbreaking to see Mac um, so easily kind of side with Hydra. But the flip side is like, if I had one of my daughters in the other room, I would do that too. And so I just thought that was kind of a cool interaction and made a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I, I mean, not a parent, but it, it made a lot of sense to me. And that's, you know, they're, they're bringing things up. I mean, if you're a character like Mac, I mean, do you leave the framework? You know, I mean, that's kind of the things that are popping up, yeah. you know, especially when they, uh, Mac and Yo-Yo kind of focused on that last pod, you know, his, his deceased daughter, you know, so it's, it's things like that, you know, obviously Radcliffe's stuck in there, um, but you know, as a, as a guy like Mac, going to want to stay in there um you know like Fitz and Simmons I mean are they both going to make it out of the framework you know it's it's those kind of things I mean if if again I I mean I can't really speak to what you are since I'm not a father so it's you know I mean just judging on Max characteristics it's almost going to be even if they can get him to know who he is outside of the framework you know he's stubborn enough is he just going to choose to stay in there you know yeah i was this actually like i literally had this mind this question go through my mind in the middle of the episode of if one of my kids had died as you know particularly as a child and my options were to live in reality and the kind of reality that we live in without them or to go into a place I knew was a fake reality and was a totalitarian regime, but where I had, you know, that child back, I honestly have no idea what I would do, you know? And so I could see us getting to the end of this and Max saying, guys, I'm just, I'm staying like, I'm, uh, this is just where I want to be. Like, I want to be able to be with hope. Like, I think that would be, again, it would be the thing that would turn me into a sobbing mess. But it would be, I think, really good, and it's really interesting storytelling, I think. So, if Mac is going to continue to be on the series, because I think that's very likely, too. I mean, I, I think you bring up a great point. Do we think hope is in danger? I mean, do you think they would, do oh, you the think they would kill yeah. a little girl in this show? Uh, they did in Bahrain, yeah, didn't they? but evidently that made it a better world. I, I, the way I see it more, more than, I don't think that like, we'll get a graphic death of yeah, a yeah. eight year old on TV, I, but I do think what will more likely happen is they'll be like, Matt, come on, it's time to go. We have to pull out and he'll be like, no, don't do it. And there'll be some kind of like deal where it's like this isn't going to exist anymore this is all crumbling yeah we've got to go and he's like reaching out for her screaming her name and then he gets yanked out and he's really ticked off at them 
you know, like for having pulled him out, you know, just you should have left me there. Okay, so yeah. I could see like a scene yeah, like that. I'll take happening. that. Yeah, because I guess once they get out of the framework and they find where people are, they can yank those things off of their heads, like Ada did at some point to, to, the the doctor. Yeah, I don't know. I I've sort of been assuming that this completely works under Matrix rules, so maybe they have to find a phone booth. I don't know. <laughs> no, because there was that one point where um, Radcliffe was going into it like for a couple hours every day or whatever and oh, ada came yeah, right, and she right. yanked him out and he was like oh my gosh i can't believe you did that you know you could have messed up stuff and all of that so i guess if they got out and mac is there and he didn't want to come out they could still yank the thing off his head and pull him right out. yeah let me ask this real quick before we go on i've been uh watching on twitter and Gabriel Luna, who plays Ghost Rider, um, he is clearly still infatuated with his time as Ghost Rider. Like, most of his tweets are, like, fan pictures and has, like, skull and flame emojis. Do you guys think we're actually going to see him again? Or are we done? And do you, do you feel like we need to see him again? I, I definitely feel like we could see him again. I have no idea if we should... I... I don't particularly miss him, but they're doing well with everything right now. I don't think we need to see yeah. him. Um, that was one of my two theories, because obviously he's somewhere, you know, um, that's not Earth One or whatever you want to call it. You know, he's somewhere. So the first theory was that he's somehow in this framework and he's... I mean, like we saw, obviously the who Ghost Rider can go across realities, you know, like we saw when he uh, went to Mac and all that stuff. So there's that one theory, but then the second theory, and I'll get your guys' opinion on this. So obviously Grant Ward's a good guy now. This is might be the most obvious one. Grant Ward's going to end up, it's going to be in a position where it's Madame Hydra and they have to kill her to go on and Grand Ward sacrifices himself and everyone escapes. That's going to happen, is it not? Probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sure. I think they're going to they're working really hard to find a way to redeem Ward, so. And yeah. if you can redeem Ward, I mean, that's good enough to wrap up the series. Right. Or they'll redeem him so we don't hate him, and then Ghost Rider will find some way to bring his soul back from hell so that he can be back in the real <sighs> reality as well. <laughs> I was having the exact same reaction. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> oh, I, I really, yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. Um,. If you guys are Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans and you're kind of wondering, feeling nervous about renewal and if that will happen or not, um, all we can say about that is that we just really don't know. Most of the uh, folks that are uh, that do that kind of prognost prognostication for a living are all saying it's kind of a 50-50 toss-up. Uh, this week's show came back with about the same rating as the week before. Um uh, it was it was up a tick in the overall viewers, but in the uh, demo, it was about the same. And it really has 
it has fluctuated back and forth between a 0.6 and a 0.7 pretty much the entire the entire calendar year of 2017 we just really haven't seen it move up or down that much and so um it's somewhat sad news for folks that want to see the show go on because it's not had the uptick that they were hoping that these storylines would give it uh the flip side of it is it's also not declining like it's not it's not getting worse um and so um it's still just really up in the air we'll we'll see when the um dvr numbers come in here in another couple weeks uh if they can continue at 100 to 133 percent increase on the dvr stuff like they have been doing that's um that's a big deal it's very helpful it seems like abc cares about that um so we just don't know it's still still uh very uncertain I, i do find it interesting i know i'm watching it live and i was not before so I know it's worked on me to do this new storyline, but uh, it just ha- we haven't seen that reflected yet in the live numbers as far as those those picking up. All right, uh, let's go on to our main conversation, and there's nothing else that we could talk about. Maybe you've been wondering when are they going to talk about that Thor trailer? When are they going to talk about that Thor trailer? Well, now we're going to talk about the Thor trailer. So the Thor Ragnarok trailer released to very little fanfare on uh, Monday morning. And it just kind of feels like it shook the internet, you know, like between that and United Airlines, those were the only things that anyone was talking about Monday. Um, obviously, we've all seen it. We've all uh, probably seen it a whole bunch of times uh, in our usual style. Let's just start out with, you know, the question of like, what was your favorite thing? What was your takeaway from from seeing this trailer? It looked really, really good. I don't want to say amazing because. I don't like to use amazing to explain everything because then if I use it so much, you know, what's really amazing, but no, it looked really, really good. Um, kind of, um, I'm not sure what I really expected, you know, so I thought it looked good. I think they kind of ended up showing a little too much. Um, but yeah, for, for our first look at, at what they're doing, you know, that's uh, one hell of an entry point. So l- let's talk about that a little bit. You said you felt like they showed too much. How much do you think we've seen of this movie? Like, what what point do you think they kind of went to before they, they cut it off? Because we know recently James Gunn has been making a big point out of not showing anything past, like, the 20-minute mark. I, I really don't know. Do you know, have a guess but, where we're at um, on this one? Judging, uh, you know, from the footage in there, it almost feels like we have a little bit of something from everything, you know, um, throughout the entire movie, I guess. I mean, Guardians trailers have, have all been good. It's pretty much the same footage over and over with each new TV spot. We get maybe a dozen new frames or something like that. Um, but no, I mean, we see Thor with the long hair, and it looks like he, Mjolnir gets what blown up, destroyed on Earth. Um, then it looks like he's in hell. It looks like, um, you know, then he's the, the one big issue I did have as, even though it was badass, was that they flat out just showed Hulk in his entirety. (laughs) You know, I thought it would have been kind of cool if they kind of cracked open the door and just showed his eyes or something, you know? So you're like, oh, that could be Hulk, you know? Um. But yeah, obviously the the we don't know the timeline or, or the plot plot of it, 
but uh, for a teaser, I could have certainly seen a, a little less. See, I'm suspicious. We we just don't know. My guess is we actually have not seen anything past like the 30 minute point. Um, I think that the movie's going to start with Hella just coming in and kicking the door down and, you know, destroying everything, destroying Mjolnir, Mjolnir um, sending Thor to this place, him sort of going through his deal, maybe a flashback for Valkyrie. But they've always described this as a sort of buddy road movie between Hulk and Thor. And I don't think they'd describe it that way if the two of them together is only the like last third of the movie. And I don't think they're putting Hulk in this thing for only a third of the movie. And so my guess is that this is going to be a really action-packed first, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And then it is that we're seeing a lot of that now and that there's still a whole lot to come about after this. Um, The one thing I really liked was it seemed like they were doing this classic storytelling device where Thor is telling the whole thing like in his own like voice, like describing how they got there. You know, you're wondering how I got here. Well, it all started with, uh, this is something they did way back in an old movie called Sunset Boulevard that was like famous for sort of that technique. And they've done it a million times since in Hollywood. But I like that idea. I like the idea that Thor might be the narrator of this movie. They've said that Chris Hemsworth is really funny and that, that we haven't seen enough of that in the Thor movies. And so the idea that I'm going to get a Taika Watiti written voiceover performed by Chris Hemsworth as the narration for a Marvel movie is awesome. Like, I think that's so cool. And so I'm kind of excited to see how that goes. Um, so I was excited to see that that might be an element in this movie. All right. Um, we saw some of Hela, Kate Blanchett's, um, you know, goddess of the underworld. Uh, there's been a lot of talk that she might be the love interest of Thanos, sort of taking the place of death from the Infinity Gauntlet comic books. Um, do you guys like that? Do you Are you hoping to see her as kind of a recurring character in the MCU? Or um, would, would you be more excited if it would kind of just, she had her place in the Thor world and we didn't have this, this plot sort of forming to what's coming? I think that's really what I'm asking is a bigger question of, do you have any concerns that this movie is going to get short-circuited by having to set up Infinity War, whether it's Hela or the Infinity Stones or whatever? Um, I don't think there's anything to worry about. You know, I would say, um, yeah, I'm fairly certain that Hela is going to take Lady Death's role, you know, especially since they just, uh, what was that in the most recent, spoiler alert, by the way, in the most recent Thanos comic, um, they introduced her, um, Hela, that is, um, and her and Thanos shared a little kiss so uh they're now an item in the comics so i i would guess that's kind of the route they're going um you know you can't really have an actress better than that you know the one question i did uh think of there was a uh weren't there set pictures of like a a lady in uh hood or something like that did we ever identify who that was 
So that's, I mean, no, I don't think we there was kind of some attention drawn to that, and that'd be kind of odd if she was just an extra, you know, on this gladiator planet or something. Um, so there's still that out there. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, there are times where the danger of this interconnected universe is that um, a movie becomes just a bridge movie to the big event movie. I had that worry about Iron Fist a little bit, that you know Iron Fist would just be a bridge to Defenders. I don't think that was actually, in the end, a problem for it, but... Um, you know, with a movie like this, I just I like so much what it seems like Waititi is building. I would just really hate it if I got to like the third act and it was like, oh, this doesn't feel like his ending. This feels like the ending that he was handed by Kevin Feige so that all the chess pieces were in place, particularly with the Soul Stone, you know, for Infinity War. And so I, I, that may be an overblown concern on my part, but. It's just always in the back yeah, of my head, particularly. I mean, that's that's smart movie. on your part, you know, because this is the last movie that should have something to do with the Infinity Stones before Infinity War, right? So, I mean, was it Josh Brolin doing some motion capture yeah. back in September? So that's kind of within the timeline. We could possibly see a Thanos cameo, couldn't we? Perhaps. Cable, look at that. Yeah, maybe we'll see yeah. a cable, <laughs> a cable cameo at this point. At this point, we had a small audio glitch, and Rhiannon had brought up that Taika Waititi did not actually write the screenplay. That was another individual named Eric Pearson. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, you know, Gunn uh, and I want to say John Watts actually wrote some of Spider-Man: Homecoming, so. I just was assuming because a lot of the directors are getting on the writing now. I guess the Russo brothers don't, so that is my mistake. Um, it's the opposite in television. In television, right. the writers have a heavy, heavy hand in how things look in the end. But in the movies, the directors sort of drive the ship. But so I mean, so the humor and all that is going to be driven by his vision. But I just wanted to clear that up so that nobody wrote you angry emails or anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can still you know, send your hate tweets. There's only so much we can do to prevent that. Despite our plea to, to Rhiannon, even though I've noticed no one actually does that. Rhiannon is the... No one ever says a bad thing about Rhiannon, yet I'm awesome. we keep telling them to. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So, and I, I guess I was also thinking that because he is... Um, Waititi is a... Um, is a screenwriter. Like I was, I was just looking at his stuff. Um, what we do in the shadows and hunt for the wilder people were, um, you know, his big things that came before this. And he wrote, produced, directed in all of those. And he was also a, a screenwriter on Moana, which some people don't know, but anyways, so I guess that's why I had that in my head. So. And he might, I mean, that was just me doing a quick, I mean, because I really didn't have it in my head. So I quickly Googled to, to make sure I, it was right. And I mean, they do, they bring around different writers and stuff, you know, movies, they touch a lot of hands. And that's why I say like the director has a big play, but um, they, it looks right. like looking through it, they've had multiple writers on it. And just the first Google result when I said Ragnar, Thor Ragnarok writer was Eric Pearson. So, yeah, I'm checking him out real quick. 
Um, this is a big deal for him actually to be a writer because if I'm at least according to his IMDb, the only other things he's really written is he's did a lot of work on Agent Carter and some Marvel one shots. So he is totally like totally homegrown. The only writing uh, credits that he has on IMDb are Marvel one shots and Agent Carter. So that is interesting. Yeah. Learn something new every day. All right. Um, just kind of wrapping up this trailer stuff. I'm uh, checking my notes here for what else we wanted to talk about. Um, do you guys have a sense of what Loki is going to be in this movie? Like, are you, are you feeling like he's going to be a good guy or a bad guy or to, to quote star Lord, a little bit of both. Like, how do you, uh, how do you feel? We're going to see him kind of come out in this film. I think he's going to be Loki. I mean, I think he's one of those characters that you'll always wonder. He's he's always going to be Team Loki. So if it benefits him to be on Team Thor, he's going to totally be Team Thor. If it benefits him to be screwing with his brother's life as much as possible, we're going to see him screw with his brother's life as much as possible. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. This one of the scenes I really love. There's this little knife flip that he does. Like he's got the two knives and he kind of yes. flips them in his hands. And it was just it like it so perfectly like sums up like how how he's a constant threat. You know, it just shows that he has these skills and things that you kind of forget cuz he kind of plays the the whiny snivelly guy sometimes. So Uh, last question I had here, and Adam, I'll ask you this one because I know you're a big Guardians fan. Um, any concerns that this looks too much like Guardians of the Galaxy? Or are you okay with kind of that crossover? I've seen that comment a couple times online now. I am perfectly okay with it because, um, I mean, the only thing it really connects with is it's, you know, based on the cosmic side of things, you know. So if we're saying that it... It looks like the Guardians, you know, I think we're using the wrong adjective um, because, you know, especially with Captain Marvel on the slate and all this stuff. I mean, you know, we can't say, oh, everything in outer space looks like the Guardians, you know. Um, I, I can kind of see it with the, with the spaceships and, and things like that. But at the same time, you know, the Guardians aren't the only people with spaceships. Um I can see both sides of it. The one thing I did see, you know, think about with with the trailer, and this kind of ties into last week as well. I mean, I'll, after seeing this trailer, it is really, really hard for me to get hyped for Spider-Man now. <laughs> you know, that's that's one thing I was just thinking of. You know, it's just like, oh, man, we get Guardians 2, we get Thor 3, which looks incredible right now. Um, yeah, Spider-Man. But yeah, I don't think it's two Guardians-esque, you know, I'm I'm really excited for the whole gladiator battles and things like that, but I guess coming back to the question, no, yeah, I don't think it looks Guardians, I, I see where they're coming from, but um, until I see Groot or, or Rocket or a, a talking dog, you know, it doesn't look like Guardians to me. Yeah, I, I'm not too worried about it, um... And I think that it'd actually be a problem if it was the opposite way. You know, like, if it looked nothing like Guardians, it'd be like, wait a minute, aren't these people in the same universe? Like, we've already seen the Warriors 3 visit the Collector's headquarters, you know? Like, 
there should be some kind of overlap between them. So uh, I do think it's interesting to look ahead. You know, there's still a lot of things we haven't seen out of this movie. We uh, we've not seen Surtur yet, who actually is going to be a big part of it, from what we understand. Uh, I think the other thing that's really cool is we've only seen Hulk kind of do this yell, but we've not seen sort of Hulk speak or interact. And one of the like the big question for me that I'm really interested in is how the Hulk has evolved, because there's a lot of sort of comics where Hulk gets sort of some more sentience. And where him and um, Banner kind of share the space a little bit more. And it's like a thinking Hulk. And I think that this movie's going to have to have that. You know, like, this isn't going to be Thor with his intergalactic puppy dog. And so, seeing where they're at and how much the Hulk has sort of taken over the Banner-Hulk relationship is something I'm really excited about. And I think is going to be one of the fun kind of reveals of this movie, hopefully, as we go on. All right, let's go ahead and we're going to go to our mailbag. Um, we actually had a lot of interaction last week. You guys really jumped into our Spider-Man conversation. If you did not hear the last week's podcast, uh, basically the way it went is, uh, I had myself all geared up for a big, like anger filled vitriol against Sony and how they're destroying Spider-Man. And I thought that Adam and Rhiannon were going to cheerlead me. And instead they were like, eh, no, I don't know. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's not a problem. And so um, I am, I'm feeling vindicated, however. I don't know if you guys have seen the comments, but uh, I did very well with the commenters this week. I'm going to go ahead and just hit like a couple of, of highlights. Uh, first of all, from the website, uh, we did confuse some people. Average gamers had asked about this. Um, Spider-Verse, for some people, is like this technical term for when you get all these spider characters mashed together when Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2099 and Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen and Peter Porker and all of those characters all come together like in the comics. And so they were asking why we were thinking about that because they're not doing that and it would take a while to build to that. Uh, when we used Spider-Verse last week, all I meant was the sort of cluster of characters and storylines, uh, the rights to which belong to Sony. So sorry for that confusion. Um, that said, we have a couple of comments here. Uh, someone named MP said, Sony are not only ruining this uh, Spider-Verse, they're also wasting Venom and Black Cat. Silver Sable I care less about. And then later on said, so sad, please Kevin Feige, save Spider-Man. Uh, then we had a comment from JC2016. I would rather have a Venom movie in the MCU and place it in Phase 4, post-Infinity War, where Spider-Man gets man gets the black suit from Avengers 3 or 4. I've seen a lot of that, that people want to see Spider-Man get the black suit during uh, Infinity War while he's out fighting Thanos out somewhere in the galaxy, and that Venom flows from that. Uh, another commenter named Phanamir. Uh, I'd compare a Venom movie with a, uh, without Spider-Man to a Steel movie without Superman or a Catwoman without Batman. And we all know how those turned out. That is an excellent point. DC tried to divorce some of these side characters from the main characters, and it has never worked out well. Uh, the Mighty Pengu is back. Um, he had a, a lot of good stuff. Um, he said, I wholeheartedly agree with Caleb, as I am happy to hear, on this one because I fear that they will ruin them or at least hurt the Spidey brand a bit more. 
because I believe the potential of an appearance of them in the MCU. And I mean, who doesn't want to see Spider-Man fighting the symbiotes? Uh, and then he ended it with all in all great job. And it's really nice to have this to listen to every week. Keep it up. So we thank you, Mighty Pengu. We really appreciate uh, you encouraging us. Uh, Love Waffle, as always, had uh, some really great comments and some back and forth in the comment section. The line that I picked up was, still though, they've effed it up before and they effed it up hard. And Marvel and Disney certainly can't be happy about this. Uh, and then Chris, um, he actually agreed with you, Adam, that he doesn't really care about Spider-Man, doesn't do it for him. He liked the cartoon as a kid in the first trilogy, but now he feels like it's a bit too everywhere. Uh, Facebook had a lot of people that just answered our question of, are they ruining the Sony-verse with yes? There was also quite a few F-bombs that got thrown around <laughs> referring to Sony's treatment of Spider-Man historically. Um, and then last comment I have is from Twitter. Uh, Jack Hammer just tweeted to us uh, saying that he really doesn't care about these movies if they're not part of the MCU. Uh, he said even like something like Logan, he's going to kind of wait till it comes out in video. He's not going to go see it in the theater. So anyways, lots of comment, guys. We really stirred things up. We got a lot of feedback from the, uh, the listeners, and that was that was really cool last week. So any other thoughts uh, upon hearing all of that or uh, anything you want to circle back with on Spider-Man and Venom and all that stuff? Um, Jack Hammer, you really should go see Logan. Don't wait. It's good. It's very good. I'll agree. It is very good. But I, I actually, um, I do have a system like this. You can call me overly competitive or vengeful, but um, I kind of have rules about when I see movies. MCU comic movies are about the only thing I see on opening night. If I'm really excited about it, like Logan, I'll see it opening weekend. And if it's something I hate, like, um, uh, I don't know, DC movies, I will wait until it's on Redbox, even though it's killing me to, like, have to wait that long, just because I don't want to yeah. give them that box office credit. I am that mean of a person. So. That is very, very mean. Goodness gracious. I mean, but if it's good, the only person you're hurting is yourself. True. I mean, maybe. Well, I mean, maybe thus far, that's not been a problem. A but. Yeah, I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, in that scenario, if you go to it on opening night, you're hurting yourself. But if it happened to be good, like Logan, you would just be missing yeah. out. So. Yeah, you know, it's, I want to, like, feel like, I don't know if philosophically is the word, but, like, I want to do this, like, hey, let's all pull for all comic book movies to succeed, and a rising tide rises all boats. But there's still, like, the sixth grader in me that's like, I hate DC and I want them to fail. <laughs> so I just can't totally kill that inside me, no matter how I try. I know, Adam, you're much more of a DC lover. You read a lot of DC stuff. I, so. Yeah, I would say lover. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I like the comics. Batman, this current Batman, oh, man, if you're not reading that, you're missing out. But man, Logan was so good. I think Logan was the second movie I've ever teared up in. Like, I'm sitting in the movie three theater with my family and I'm like oh, I'm not going to let them see me cry <laughs> but yeah just at the end it was like oh man the only other time I teared up was like that Titanic. was uh, Titanic wasn't it? Not Titanic. You totally Guardians. cried all over the Titanic. No at the, at the end of Guardians when the We Are Groot part I'm like oh man oh yeah we are uh, Groot. that's just because Groot's my favorite comic character but yeah go see Logan it's very good Sorry, I got us all off track there. Yeah. 
that's okay. That's, we're, we're happy to talk about it. So yeah, we we enjoy that. All right. Um, I think that about does it. Uh, like I said, this is all on a new system. Um, as I'm speaking right now, I'm terrified that this is not going to record right. So we'll see how this all works out. But hopefully you're getting much better audio quality this week. And uh, if you're listening on YouTube, thanks for joining us. We're going to kind of keep trying to do that to provide better content to our YouTube channel. You may have noticed that Doug has started back up with the uh, Marvel Q&A on YouTube. So check in that with that. Uh, Charles just did a brand new supercut for um, Claire Temple, the night nurse. And so all kinds of stuff on YouTube. Keep up with the website. Uh, as always, if you want to interact with us here on the podcast, you can, as you see, leave us a message on the website. We'll see those. You can leave us a message on Facebook when we post it to that uh, platform. We also check Twitter and comments there. Hashtag MCUXPod, M-C-U-E-X-P-O-D. Um, that'll get to us and we'll check that. Uh, every once in a while, we'll check the Apple reviews as well. And so all those are ways to interact with the show. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, share your thoughts. What part of Thor are you looking forward to? All that kind of stuff. Um, so we love your fan interaction. Uh, we had another great week last week as far as listens. Uh, the show just keeps on growing, it feels like. And we just really appreciate that. Um, and we love having more of you guys listen. And we like to see it you know, doing well because... Uh, we do it because we enjoy it, but we also want other people to enjoy it with us. And so we really, uh, we love that. And we love hearing from you if you like the show. So uh, with all that said, it's about time to sign off. Rhiannon, where can people find you on the Twitters? You can find me on the Twitters as Shot of Patron. Adam, how about you? At Adam Barnhart on both Twitter and Instagram. And I am, for all Marvel purposes, at Caleb A. Borchers on Twitter. That's where I do most of that kind of stuff. Uh, we also see your comments on the website as well. We choose to interact with them or not as we please. So, uh, But yeah, at Twitter um, is a good place to do it as well. All right, I think that does it for now. Uh, we'll have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, next week as we, as we did this week. Uh, I'm not sure what our main conversation will be. We'll see if anything uh, drops maybe I don't know we may be getting some cancellation or renewal news soon for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I would think maybe another couple weeks um, hopefully at some point the upfronts will start giving us uh, looks into Runaways or Cloak and Dagger or Inhumans as that stuff happens for the TV folks so all that's coming up we'll see whatever we talk about next week uh, if you have a topic that you'd like us to talk about uh, particularly in a week where maybe there's not another obvious one obviously shoot that our way too all right, uh, I think that does it for this week. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Bye.